When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Are you thinking about starting a podcast but don't know where to start? Let me take a second to tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need, all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast across a plethora of listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, completely free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, do yourself a favor and check out anchor.fm or download the app to get started. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hey guys, and welcome to another thought-provoking episode of Inquiries of Our Reality, number 87 to be exact. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Shane, as always. And today I have a fellow podcaster. But before we get into that, uh, we got to do all the front of the house stuff, you know, the usual. Um, if you guys don't mind dropping a review or a rating for the show, um, definitely helps the show grow, helps it get seen by, uh, new, you know, new possible listeners. Um, also sharing with a friend, always appreciate it. If you know anybody that's into any of this weird stuff, you know, just drop the name. Maybe they'll end up looking it up. And anything you do, always appreciate it, guys. And the only way the show's ever going to grow is with all of you guys. And uh, if you aren't already doing it too, um, come and follow me on social media if you want to get updates on the show, updates on possible giveaways in the future, just a bunch of all the, all the, all the fun stuff that is involved with doing a podcast. Um, the most active thing that I'm on is Instagram. Um, I also have a Telegram channel set up, which I'm still kind of building it up. Uh, I get a bunch of people talking and hanging out in there. Uh, also do have a Facebook. Um, and if you're super interested in my shows, you like the content I create, uh, I do do some other shows. I do Bizarre Encounters with uh, Ghost from My Third Eye. 
Um, that's my other, like, I'd say main show. Um, also do a side show with Kyle Rainey from the Big Dumb Podcast called Big Dumb Increase, if you guys want to check that out. And I also do a little solo campfire storytelling show called uh, Bite Size Bizarities, which is just little, you know, within a half hour episodes about weird little bizarities within our reality. Um, always fun. That one um, is a Patreon exclusive. So, you know, there's some random episodes on the feed, but the majority of that is going to be specific to Patreon. So if you want to go and check that out, um, I have the Open Minds Media Patreon, which is everything that I do all in one. So it's not like you just get one show at the Patreon. You get four shows. So, you know, if you're interested in helping out the show, that's probably one of the top ways to do it. Um, you can also donate to the show. Um, Anchor is a good one to donate on. That's the main RSS host for the show. Uh, I also have Kofi set up. And uh, I also have Venmo, Cash App, and PayPal. Uh, if you know, if you just want to buy me a kombucha to drink on the show, always appreciate it. And, uh, you know, trying to build it up so eventually I can do this as a full-time thing. Hoping to do that because everybody wants to do something they enjoy, you know. And, uh, you know, I don't need to be a rich man. I just want to be able to do my research, hang out with my family, and, you know, do the things that I really care about. And produce even more better content for you guys because I'll have even more time to do it. Um, if you want to also fund the show by getting yourself an awesome t-shirt, I have the Open Minds Media Store set up. And again, just like the Patreon, uh, all four shows, designs for all four shows are all included there. Um, you can also get some Open Minds Media merch if anybody's interested in that. So a lot of cool stuff to go and check out. And uh, just an extension of that, um, we also are teamed up with uh, Crypto Theology. Uh, it's not really like a sponsor. It's more so, you know, we're friends. We help each other out. We promote each other. Uh, Joe's doing some awesome work over there. He's making some crazy cool cryptid designs. A lot of them references to pop culture things. Um, he also has his own series, which are, you know, specific locations with specific cryptids. Pretty awesome stuff. There's also a tab on there for Open Minds Media. And there you'll find our collab designs. So if you want to get some exclusive stuff that's only available on the Crypto Theology store, uh, go and check that out. Um, all of that stuff that's all in the link tree, including the uh, section of Crypto Theology that is Open Minds Media and Crypto Theology as a whole, uh, the Patreon, all that shit. Everything I've mentioned, all in one place, all in the link trees. Um, if you want to check out the one for Increase of Our Reality, that's going to be L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash Increase of Our Reality Podcast. And if you want to check out the umbrella of everything I do, um, you can go and check out the Open Minds Media link tree, which is L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash open underscore minds underscore media. And with that, welcome to the show, Jeremiah from What If They're Wrong Paranormal Podcast. How's it going today, man? Good. How are you? Not too bad. It's a pleasure to have you on the show finally after some awkward scheduling bouncing around, which tends to happen frequently when podcasting, I guess. <laughs> yeah, between podcasting and work and life, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty, <laughs> uh, pretty random. But yeah, here we are. It's going to be good to talk with you and share some ideas, some theories. So uh, for anybody that doesn't know who you are, if you don't mind giving a, a brief description of like who you are, uh, what you do, what exactly your podcast is. And then before we started the show, you're talking about your little extra thing that you do. Um, if you don't mind also sharing that, I'm sure a lot of the uh, audience would appreciate that also. Yeah, so I'm Jeremiah from What If They're Wrong Podcast or What If They're Wrong Paranormal Podcast. Um, I cover a lot of fringe topics, ghosts, aliens, Bigfoot. Uh, near-death experiences, uh, you name it. Anything that is not mainstream is kind of on my show. Um, I even interviewed a lady who says she can communicate with fairies and is part of the fairy world and stuff. So there's it's a grab bag show, 
and um, you know you get a little bit of everything. Never a stale moment. One week it'll be Bigfoot, next week it'll be aliens, and then the week after that it'll be ghost hunting. So you get a little bit of everything with the paranormal. And I kind of model my show off of uh, Coast to Coast AM uh, radio program. I won't listen to for a long time. Always wanted to have something similar, and now I'm doing it. <laughs> Thanks to podcasting. Shout out to our bell on that one. <laughs> so yeah. uh, going into kind of like the topics of everything, uh, like what is your personal favorite thing that you cover? And uh, what is, I guess, your view on whatever your favorite personal thing is to cover? Um, so my favorite thing to cover... Oh, I forgot to answer your other question. I'm also an avid video game collector. I have around a thousand games um, from Atari to Xbox One and um, PS5 or whatever. Well, I don't have any PS5 games yet, but yeah, anywhere in between those ranges. And I just really enjoy doing that too. I've been doing it for about six years. So um, yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> Talk about sad moment in video game collecting uh, before we get into everything. So uh, when I was a kid, my first system was a Sega Genesis and I had like all the classics for it. I had like the original Mortal Kombat. I had Splatterhouse 1, 2, and 3. For anybody that doesn't know what Splatterhouse is, I highly recommend going and checking it out because it's one of the games that's the reason why there's a rating system now. One of the one of the games. Um, all the original Sega, or Sonics, all that fun stuff. And uh, I got kicked out of my house by my mom when I was 18. And uh, she went and sold all of my stuff behind my back for ah. cheap on Amazon, eBay, like whatever the fuck she was selling it on. Just some cheap shit. I think it was Craigslist was the popular thing back then. But uh, me looking back into it saying, all right, I wanted to get my old games back so that I could you know, have that nostalgia feeling. And uh, all those games are a couple hundred dollars a piece. So she probably sold all of that for a hundred bucks, not realizing that she probably had like a couple thousand dollars worth of games. So it's one thing that always bothers me in the back of my mind, man, is that I miss my Sega Genesis and I want to get it back. But every time you, I look into them, they're like 50 bucks. I can totally get it. It comes with the 50 games on it, but it doesn't have MK and Splatterhouse. And like that, that was my, my... That was my main focal point. It starts to be Splatterhouse 2. And it's like, the only way I'm going to buy a Sega Genesis is if I buy that game. And the minimum that I've seen that I can spend on that is like 150, 200 bucks. But <laughs> one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sega was like my main go-to when I was a kid. Um, obviously, I played Nintendo, Super Nintendo. But we had a Sega Genesis. Our friend had a Super Nintendo. So we kind of got best of both worlds. But yeah, Sega definitely uh, was my jam. I loved um general chaos was a great game um the what was it uh the one with spider-man and venom where you could play both of yep. them dude Separation it's so nice anxiety, to see another uh sega fan because it's like i'm always the one that's like people are like mario or sonic and it's like every day i'm gonna pick sonic and playing sonic but <laughs> it's like you don't find very many people like that but it's kind of cool though because it's like you you played the shit out of the games when you were a kid so it's like my daughter now is interested in like the classic video game look because I rebought like this uh, Sonic collection and stuff for like Nintendo Switch because now Nintendo owns Sega of course but she's like yo I'll play like the first like five levels and not even touch the ground like <laughs> playing the levels because I got so used to playing them as a kid that I don't know dude I, I miss it man Sega, Sega was my shit and it's nice to have another uh, Sega fan that would pick Sonic over Mario <laughs> yes yes I love my Sega um, I don't have an issue with Nintendo really. Um, don't get just me wrong, me I do person. like Nintendo, but <laughs> just prefer Yeah, Sega. just I think Nintendo 
and I don't mean to like crap on any Nintendo fans, but like they're kind of it's kind of a kiddie console, like where Sega was more like mature. I feel. Yeah, I could feel that too. But at the same time, they flipped scripts now because now I feel like Nintendo is intentionally trying to be nostalgic for people in our age group. So it's like their main focus, like they have a lot of kitty graphic looking games, probably just because they can make it look really neat, really easy. But now I feel like their main focal point isn't kids. It's people in their like 20s and 30s. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) No, the Switch has been killing it. They have the couch sitter. You can't even get any more video game systems like that. That was like coming up in our generation, dude. It was like if I was going to play a two player game, I want to be able to sit on the couch next to the person. Now everything's set up where it's like. You can do co-op, but you have to have two different consoles. And it's like, who the fuck wants to do that? So the only one that made sense for me to buy, because 90% of the games are co-op couch sitters, is Nintendo Switch. <laughs> yep, and me and my brother always played couch co-op. We loved our beat-em-ups like um, Captain Commando and... Uh, you remember Double Dragon? Turtles, Turtles in Time, Double Dragon, all that Oh, good and stuff. the Battletoads one they did, where it was Double Dragons and Battletoad? That oh, was that game shit. was so good. <laughs> That was that was one of the ones I used to have that it's like you try to look for a copy of that now and it's expensive as shit, but I used to play that so much when I was a kid, especially that level where you had the little hover bikes and you get to kick the people off behind you. That was like the best <laughs> level in that whole game, dude. Yeah, that game was fantastic, actually. I think it's a little underrated, to be honest with you. Definitely, dude. Battletoads in general, I feel like they got uh, over overclouded by TMNT because they were making the same type of games at the time. It was just that TMNT had the TV series, all that kind of shit behind it where Battletoads was strictly video games, but for any, like, hardcore Sega fan, like, everybody knows who Battletoads were. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, that's my other hobby, is collecting. Like I said, I have about a thousand games and a bunch of different consoles, and I started just collecting, like, everything I could, and now I'm just collecting, like, games that I want to play or games that I've played in the past that I want to, like, revisit even though I'm sure they're not as good as I remember. <laughs> I mean, Splatterhouse, though, that one, I feel like that one held held its time, especially because just for the time that it came out, too, I felt like it was pretty advanced graphic style. <laughs> yeah, some of them hold up, but like a lot of the PlayStation 1 games just look really bad now. True. <laughs> That's why you need the revamps. That's why, again, Nintendo's kind of taking the market on that shit because they own Sega now, so they just keep bringing back all these nostalgic games, but with, like, smoothed over updated graphics and then they even got the thing back where you can play with an nes controller or you can play with the genesis controller so it's like bro they they got it going man like i give props to nintendo now because i was pissed off that they bought sega when it originally happened but now it's like okay i kind of dig that all of the nostalgia games are all kind of in one area and i don't have to buy like two consoles in order to play sega and nintendo games you know i just wish that sega would have been the one that came out on top especially considering that they were the ones that created the whole concept of the disc but they never got credit for it. Yeah, Sega was ahead of their time, honestly. They were the first ones to come with the disc, with the Sega CD. I think it was Sega CD. And then um, they went with, like, the 32X. They were just always... And then they had the Dreamcast that had, like, the modem built into it. But the internet wasn't ready for that yet. And Had memory cards, too? Yeah, and it had memory cards. And, yeah, Sega was always just ahead of their time. And... I think if they would have just waited to like release stuff, <laughs> probably would have done a lot better. It's literally like Sega is Tesla, and then Nintendo is Edison. 
<laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Someone in Sega like saw the future. <laughs> Literally, man. <laughs> but uh, not to get too flooded the video games because I could yeah, definitely yeah, go yeah, off yeah. on all that kind of stuff. I don't game as much now anymore just because of you know family, podcast, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I still play my my nostalgic games here and there. But uh, you know, I, again, I could go on that shit for hours because just bringing up <laughs> old memories. But uh. Just to bring it back for you know all the listeners because you, you know what they came here for they came here for all the weird fringe conversation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what are some of like your favorite topics you've dived into in your show, and like what is your stance on that topic? So my bread and butter personally is aliens and the alien abduction phenomenon, and also you can throw in like Anunnaki and all that stuff, um, ancient past, lost civilizations, all that stuff. I just love it. Uh, read tons of books on it. Watch Ancient Aliens, of course, and watch other shows. And um, I think Graham Hancock just came out with a new documentary. I've been watching that. Um, Still going to make my way up. to that. Yeah, I think list. it's yeah, it's on Netflix. And um, I watched the first like two episodes, and it was really well done. And he does make you question a lot about the ancient past and. The fact that there is probably lost civilizations that we just don't know about or have some stories like placed in time, but kind of not taken seriously by the mainstream, um, kind of like Plato's account of Atlantis that, you know, he writes about, but the, um, you know, mainstream wants to say, oh, it's just uh, allegory or, oh, it's just made up, even though. He didn't write it as like a, you know, fictional piece. I mean, it's one of those things, too, where because of the, the different cataclysms happening, um, a lot of any if anything was theoretically written down, it was more than likely destroyed in the process. Unless there is the uh, three secret libraries that have been spoken of, which one's supposed to be underneath the Sphinx's foot. One I'm assuming is in the Vatican. And then the third one, I have no idea where that one might possibly be. But uh, just anything being destroyed and then everything being word of mouth and just everybody knows how, how much that can get misconstrued through time. But it's like you look into like creation stories from all these different like ancient religions and different practices. And it's like they have the same characteristics of different things happening. Uh, but again, it was like word of mouth. So shit got changed in the process. So like in Norse mythology, there's a reference to the Ice Age and then there's a reference to the Great Flood. And then you go into like Sumerian stuff and, you know, they have the Epic of Gilgamesh, which makes reference to the Great Flood. And then there's the Bible that makes reference to the Great Flood. So it's like I definitely beyond believe that all of these advanced civilizations existed. And then after these great cataclysms, uh, all of the information they had written down, all the technology, all of that got destroyed because it essentially came down to just a survival aspect of things where they weren't worried about doing all this stuff. They weren't worried about the technology. All they were worried about was trying to survive at the time. So in turn, it was like civilization had to restart itself with each one of these. And the only previous world being passed on, again, was through word of mouth. And then you have years and years of people telling the story, little aspects changing. So then it's like, it's hard to know exactly where the truth is. But if you kind of step back and look at the broader picture, you can see these details like the two I mentioned that kind of span across everything. And then starting from there, you can kind of start building back on what the possibilities are. But as far as like Atlantis, I thoroughly believe that it got destroyed, was covered with water uh, when this great flood happened. Um, because think about how much stuff there is at the bottom of water that, you know, they 
are always still finding, which means that there wasn't water in those locations all the time. So, I mean, theoretically, like Atlantis could have been somewhere like, you know, just in the middle. I don't want to say in the middle of the ocean, but just far off from the coast of what we know. And that's why we've never been able to find it. Like a lot of people think that they found it, but there's no definite proof of it uh, because of that. But I don't know. I, I'm one of the people I fully believe in Atlantis personally. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I just, um, well, not just, but a few episodes ago, I did an episode on Atlantis and I had a author on that wrote a book about Atlantis and where he thinks it is in Northern Africa. And there's a structure there that, or an area there that kind of matches the description of the like concentric rings and all that stuff. And he went over all that in the episode and we talked about it and um, he does present a very good case of Atlantis being in Northern Africa there. And uh, I forget what the structure is called, but yeah, it was definitely interesting to talk to him and get that. And then also like, I find it very, uh, I don't know. I don't like how archaeologists, whenever they find like a site, they always attribute it to, oh, it's a worship center or whatever, or like a spiritual center or whatever. Like, how do you know that's what it was used for? Like, Gobekli mm-hmm. Tepe, they're like, oh, it was probably just a worship center for like hunter gatherers or whatever. But how how do you know that? Like, I hate how they just instantly label it that <laughs> they're they're trying to they almost look through a lens of everybody being uh what's the word i'm looking for like like less like they don't take into consideration that technology could be advanced in a totally different way than what we understand technology to be so they instantly assume though these people there was the word i'm looking for more primitive where everything was based on religion but that may not have been the case like yes maybe after the great cataclysm it kind of resorted back to that and that's why we have that idea of that's how people are but right before that cataclysm happened they could have been just as advanced as us in a different way. And everything kind of got restarted and reflushed from that. Like, you know, we're advanced in electronics, but, you know, previous gener- previous uh, worlds, whatever you want to call them, like pre-flood could have been advanced in like stonework to the point where they knew how to like create energy with stone. And it's just ideas that we don't fully comprehend because our method of thinking isn't that way because we're only thinking of electronics as the way that we know them. And even same kind of going into like the uh, extraterrestrial phenomenon, uh, we're looking at everything as like being carbon based because like we're carbon based beings, but it doesn't mean that every being in the universe is carbon based. They could be totally based off of something else where it's a full conscious living being, but it's not made up of matter that we're fully aware of. So it's like they don't understand how our dynamics of life work and we don't understand how their dynamics of life work. So we're not like saying like this is a race because like we don't we're looking at everything from a carbon-based perspective. Yeah, it's that um, hubris of humans to think that we are the pinnacle of creation and that there is nothing better than us. Or it's just that default of, like, we're superior. Um, It's, I guess, just built into human psyche, human nature. And uh, I just think it does a disservice to people of the ancient past because I was on another podcast talking about primitive people and you know the people of ancient times they are not stupid they were not stupid they might not have had laptops like we have or 
you know, podcasts like we have, but they knew all about um, how the solar system worked, astrology, planets, um, different solstices. They knew about planting crops, all that stuff. They knew a lot of stuff for their time period. Like they weren't dumb. They were just as intelligent, if not more than we are now. It's just a different time period. They didn't have all this tech. I mean, theoretically speaking, too, um, like who's to say that there wasn't almost like a like a Noah's Ark before each of these uh, like cataclysms, like in the aspect of like an interdimensional or not interdimensional, but interplanetary like Noah's Ark, that all of the people that were like the high up, the intelligent, the elites of the time uh, knew a cataclysm was coming. They had advanced technology like you see all of these like different like flying crafts and shit like that. And right before everything happened, they took off and the we're, we're essentially the descendants of the poor people and the people who weren't smart enough to make it onto that. So that's why we <laughs> lost all this ideas and technologies because all the people creating it took off and all of us were stuck. Like imagine if there's about to be a giant asteroid that hits the planet and the first people are going to be on the ship to take off off the planet are going to be all of the uh, like programmers, designers, like all the people working shit. So then it's like, leave all of us with like, figure out how to make a cell phone and all of us are going to be lost technology and have to restart from a new point and build back up from there. So, I mean, it's definitely a theoretical probability. (laughs) Yeah. If, um, if tomorrow humans would just vanish off the planet, um, in about a hundred years, 150 years, almost everything that you know of humans today would be like gone. Like this computer would be disintegrated. Cars would be disintegrated. Um, you know, all this stuff would just return to the earth, return to dust. And uh, all you would have left is stone structures and things that, you know, don't weather to time, like gold, uh, stuff like that. So it's not that far-fetched to think that there is a lost civilization. And all we are getting is the stone structures and the, you know, gold and stuff like that from that time period. And I think there is a lot of, Places around the world, like the Mayan um, people and India, they have these cycles of time. They had this concept of cycles of time and these yugas and Kali yugas and how time is not linear. It's actually cyclical and civilizations rise and fall and replace with a new and new time periods. And I think I think they have something there. I think they have something going where you get these rises and falls and you get these cataclysms that just wipe and reset everything. And, and then we just have to start over. And I think that's been going on for a lot longer than we think. I mean, I've heard this idea of like a, like our planet being kind of like a Petri dish. So like, what if theoretically all these like alien races or different races that we're looking at all start off here and then the smart ones leave, it restarts and then they start a new race of, things that they'll start here. Like who's to say that, you know, when humans are able to do space travel, we take off that the planet doesn't get restarted again. And then a new race of things start. And then we're looking at it from the other perspective of like, Oh, look at the primitive new race because now we're in those shoes. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, um, you have the Anunnaki tale. Um, you have biblical tales of, I call them interdimensional beings coming to this plane of existence and uh, mingling with humans or primitive humans. Uh, I think 
I personally believe that definitely happened. I think some type of being, I call them interdimensional, uh, came, tampered with uh, primitive hominids. And, you know, hominids like those skeletons we get from like Lucy and, um, you know, the ones you always see that photo of people gradually progressing from like ape to human version so one like, version two version three <laughs> yeah so those proto those proto humans um like australia and pithecus and all that stuff um i think that they were existing here on this planet and some being came and tampered with their genetics dna splicing whatever you want to call it and created what we know as modern humans and I think that is why we have not found the missing link. And I don't think we'll ever find the missing link because I think we have been tampered with. Um, it's the only thing that makes sense. Like we just don't make sense on this planet. Like every other animal, they don't need to have clothes and they don't need to, you know, um, act the way we do. <laughs> every, every other animal lives in balance with nature um, we overproduce, over uh, kill, over farm, stuff like that. So just, I don't know, something in me doesn't think we fit on this planet like the way we're supposed to. Like we're like a virus on the planet. But like one idea that I've always kind of entertained is that we look at things as being like, oh, it has a link to human DNA. Like what if that human DNA isn't really human DNA? It's actually Anunnaki DNA. And then you could explain the whole like cryptid phenomenon where it's like if the Anunnaki came, they mixed their DNA with uh, with one particular thing. They created like a Sasquatch. They mixed their DNA with another particular thing. They created uh, like a flying uh, humanoid. They mixed it with another thing. They created, um, you know, just different different types of beings for different types of jobs, you know. And uh, rather than looking at it as like, oh, you know. Bigfoot, Sasquatch might share human DNA. Like it's not human DNA at all. Like we, we our link is that it's actually Anunnaki DNA mixed with other things. And uh, I know I've mentioned it previously on shows, but like theoretically, like they like when it comes to tattooing, different things like that, they'd usually test out on like pig skin because it's like the closest thing to human skin. And then you go into all of these old stories about like the pig people when you go into like him, Hinduism and the whole idea that of like people possibly being like mixed with like pigs and stuff. So like. What if our the Anunnaki DNA was mixed with pigs to create us? Then Anunnaki DNA was mixed with apes to create like a Sasquatch, and then it was mixed with like a wolf to create, uh, you know, like dogmen, whatever you want to call them. And then they kind of just tested things out, said, "All right, this is the best one." And you know, maybe there's still some remnants that left, and that's you know where you get these cryptid phenomena. But they decided that this was the main one that they wanted to do. And then originally, maybe it started off as like giants because they wanted it bigger to be stronger to do different things. And then they said, all right, well, we don't want them to be that strong. Let's make them smaller and just make more of them so that there's more of them to do this task. But individually, they're not as strong together. And then it's easier for us to create, like, leave maybe some of these theoretical, like, giants. And then those would be, like, the ruling class. And uh, going into, like, Egypt, for example, a lot of the time, uh, like, the, far the, the pharaohs, different things are depicted as bigger than the people in the drawings of them. And maybe it's not just, like, symbolic of like that person's bigger and above them like what if they were actually bigger and taller and that would also again explain all the giant doorways and stuff that you have in egypt that are also weird the giant sarcophagus that you have over there that was really weird and then uh you know 
just as they started mixing DNA more after the Anunnaki left, maybe that's when the pharaohs started getting smaller, and then that's kind of where we're at now. But the beginning pharaohs could have been like literal giants. Yeah, I do. I do buy into the giants. I do believe that there were giants on Earth. Um, I think it explains a lot of things too, um, biblically, and also different structures around the world. I think these huge stones might have had, um, you know, giant workings or giants created them um, or helped build them. Uh, I also think, you know, I look at some of these structures, like I've been to Peru, I backpacked through Peru twice and been to all the Saxawaman, uh, you know, Lake Titicaca, all that stuff down there. And um, like some of these stones are just, I can't fathom a primitive civilization wanting to, haul these things all the way up the mountainside, placing them there. And then you see the stones that are like so oddly shaped and they're still fit together, like so close. And I know you hear it on ancient aliens, but I was there and you can, it's hard to even put like your fingernail in between some of those stones. It's like, how the heck did they do that? How did they know how to do that? And, and secondly, why would they do that? Because, you know, if they were supposed to just be primitive and just trying to get by and survive and stuff, why go through all this trouble to create these things? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, kind of building off of the idea that I mentioned earlier, too, about there being like the smart people or the higher up ones leaving the planet and then leaving like the poor, like the more primitive ones. Um, you see a lot of like the like these ancient areas where there'll be like layers where the initial layer is perfect and then the middle layer is not close to perfect but not as good and then the top layer looks like shit and it could be a matter of a lot of them make reference to there being a culture that was there before and they essentially just reuse the area because it was there already um maybe that's where it comes into is that we're looking at the primitive people like they built all of it where maybe they just built that top layer because they also didn't understand how to build that bottom layer because the people or the creatures whatever you want to say that created them uh like weren't here anymore or got wiped out or left the planet <laughs> Yeah, totally. Um, when I was in Peru, I could you could see it too. Like the bottom stone was the most handcrafted, the most intricately placed. Um, and then as it went up, it got worse and worse construction-wise. And you know, that's not really how it's supposed to be, according to mainstream. Like things are supposed to prog progress over time. You're supposed to get better. You would think that they would master more and more as they went on but it seems to be like the opposite it's almost like they forgot how to do that bottom layer and they're like trying to replicate it and i think the same thing with uh the great pyramid of giza i think the quality and the craftsmanship of that is way better than the other pyramids next to it and stuff like that like i've seen pictures i haven't been there myself but i've seen pictures and it looks like they were trying to replicate but they just couldn't do it <laughs> What's uh what's your view on like the pyramids for example because I'm I'm on the side where I don't think that they were actually intended for people to walk in them. Um I've actually been entertaining this idea lately and I'm going to be doing an episode on it hopefully sooner rather than later with Kyle about this uh idea that I've had where possibly the pyramids could have been something that was used for terraforming an area where you know you have this reference to near the pyramids at one point being lush and full of green and maybe when the pyramids weren't active anymore, that's when it went to a desert. And then you find the uh, Antarctic pyramids 
uh, where, you know, maybe they terraform the area where it was livable. And then once they stop being active, that's when everything froze up. And then there's also the Black Pyramids in Alaska, which there's been a few references to them. And again, another extreme climate, um, opposite direction of Egypt. But, uh, you know, it could have been theoretically possibly terraforming the area and making it inhabitable and livable. And once they went inactive or they stopped getting whatever the source was that was making it so they could terraform, then they just, you know, kind of got lost in time and people weren't able to live there anymore. And then they just got covered in snow, sand, or whatever have you. Like there could be even more pyramids hidden in extreme environments. Well, I'll tell you what the pyramids are not, and they are not tombs. <laughs> I find that um, to be laughable, that mainstream still holds on to that fact, <laughs> or that fact, quote-unquote. Going into, like, ancient, just the beginning of all that shit, when uh, people were first getting into, uh, like, discovering all this shit, they would ask the people what the uh, what the pyramids were for, and they would always say they represented us. They, The people of the region never even said that they were tombs. That was all, you know... Egyptologists that came up with that concept. Yeah, and I'm I'm pretty sure um, I'm about ninety five percent sure that they've never found like a, a like skeletal remains in the pyramids. Um, like I said, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they haven't found like a sarcophagus or not a sarcophagus, but like human remains inside of a pyramid. I think they found one with like a bunch of like animal bones in it or something. Well, I mean, there was the, the was it the Valley of the Kings or whatever the hell it was called, um, or the Val- Valley of the Pharaohs. I have brain fart on the name of it, but that's where, like, if you already had royalty buried there, like, why why would they say that there's certain royalty that are in these, these particular things when they clearly were not designed for being able to carry, like, just imagine trying to carry things around in there and, like, move around, like, a body into a specific area. Like, there's a bunch of trap doors, there's a bunch of weird hidden spots. Like, I think it's something more mechanic, personally. Yeah, so for your initial question, um, I personally believe that the pyramids were either a power plant and they were harnessing the electrical grid of the planet or the ley lines of the planet, um, or they were using them in a certain way to create power. Um, because they, if you look at like a cross-section of it, uh, like cut in half, it does look like some type of machine. It doesn't look like something that would be like a burial chamber or anything like that. And I know Chris Dunn has wrote books on it and talks about it being a power plant. And it makes so much sense. Um, Other things that you see in there, they have that melted steps too in there. It's like, how did that happen? Also, they say that these people went inside and made all these hieroglyphs in there and whatnot. And like the torches for the time, they would have to use torches. Like there's not enough oxygen in there to sustain a torch light for that long. And so they would have to have some type of like power too, which I think the Baghdad Baghdad battery ties into that too. But um, yeah, I think they were power plants or another crazy far out, um, a theory, and it might just be my theory. I don't know. They might have been some type of like interdimensional portal where they would transport to another dimension. Stargates. Um, <laughs> yeah, stargates, just like the movie. Um, or they would be able to open like wormholes to take you to another part of the galaxy or wherever. Um, I mean, they but- could have even been just interconnecting between the different pyramids on the planet too, where they could have like maybe that's how 
you know, this culture and this culture on opposite sides of the planet somehow had communication with each other. Like maybe they were able to like bring themselves to the other pyramids. Like there's some type of like teleportation thing. Yeah, maybe it could be teleportation. Um, I find it interesting that a bunch of the pyramid sites have other structures around and um, they kind of match like a computer circuit board, mm-hmm. which seems kind of weird and random. And why would that happen? And why would that be? And also um, the fact that they seem to line up with certain constellations and star systems kind of makes you scratch your head like think the pyramids of giza line up to like orion's belt or something and yep um, it's orion's belt yeah and then yeah why why would there be pyramids all over the world too like what would make we don't build pyramids today so what made everyone around the world at that time decide to make a pyramid like it just doesn't make sense also obelisk too I mean, that could have been maybe like where it was pulling something out of the like out of the ether, whatever you want to call it, in order for it to be able to do what it was doing. And uh, just kind of furthering onto your power plant idea too, they uh, say that the Nile at one point went right up to the steps of the pyramids. So I mean, maybe it was using water to create energy too. Just another probability. Yeah, it could have been a hydroelectric plant. Um, now, as far as the area drying out, but it could have been a natural cause, or it could have been uh, whenever the pyramids shut down from a cataclysm or whatever might have caused them to stop working or whatever. But um, at the time, yeah, they say that it was lush and there was the Nile was flowing by it and all that stuff. So maybe they were using it as a hydroelectric plant too. And then the obelisks, there's still obelisks all over the world. There's one in Washington, DC. I think there's one in Paris. Even there the like Washington monument the is pretty much a giant obelisk. If you really think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And and what's up with that? Like, why why are they all over the planet too? <laughs> like, just doesn't add up. If I don't know, I and just it, those are one of the weird. top things that people would take when they would come and they would like infiltrate the region. They would always take obelisks and bring them back to where they they were from. So maybe they also knew the probability of like what they could could do. You know? Yeah, and you said something about Tesla earlier, and Tesla came up with free energy and I think he was using the electromagnetic grid that surrounds the planet or whatever. And I think he found a way to tap into that and like distribute free power. And um, that might've been what's up with those obelisks too. And I think they, you know, like a lot of people who try to advance things in a good way or whatever, natural way, they kind of like, silenced him <laughs> kind of like oust him and um then edison came and took over with the you know light bulb and all that stuff but also too they didn't want free shit they had to try to find a way to make money off of it so no matter what way you looked too. at it of course tesla is going to be suppressed because they don't want anything to be free for the people because they want just even you see it all the time with everything everything they're starting to legalize too with like cannabis and everything it's all about just them having full control of money that's involved with anything (laughs) oh yeah definitely it's all a power grab um the same reason why we don't have the infrastructure for uh full electric cars and all that stuff because oil companies aren't going to pass that up or or some type of other form of energy to transport us um these oil companies aren't going to 
give up on their, you know, liquid gold. So see, that's like a mixed bag for me. Cause it's like, I'm not pro electric car just for the aspect of like, theoretically they want to say, all right, there's another COVID. Um, everybody locked down. Nobody's allowed to leave their house. They could hit a button and make it so nobody's cars work where it's like, yeah, of course it's not a good thing to be burning fossil fuels. The shit gets to be super expensive too, because gas is always fluctuating and shit. But, uh, I don't know. I'd rather have a car that I don't have to worry about somebody theoretically being able to shut it off. But, you know, even if they are promoting gas and who's to say they're not going to be adding something eventually to, I mean, they kind of have stuff like that. They have like, uh, you know, for like when you buy, uh, you know, a car from like certain places, they'll put like a little fucking reader thing in it and they could shut off the car for not paying your bill. Like they already kind of have stuff like that, but I feel like it's just kind of pushing that even farther with electric cars and electric cars are doing the self-driving thing too, which, I also kind of have a fear because it's like eventually people wouldn't be driving anymore. So like that's another skill lost that people have to rely on electronics to do all this shit for them instead of them being able to just start their car, drive it themselves. It's like, oh, no, my car's not working today, so I literally can't go anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. And then you got to worry about hackers and all that stuff. Yeah, that's the biggest fear. (laughs) So I live in North Carolina and about. Two hours east from me, um, someone attacked the electrical station, and the whole area was out of power. I'm sure it's up now, but they were out of power for a couple of days. Someone like attacked their like uh, substation or something. I don't know why, but um, yeah, it was all over the news and stuff. It's like, yeah, you don't realize, you know, stuff could happen like that, and. And when I say like we could convert to electric, um, not like pro electric or anything, but if there was no nefarious forces behind it, I think it would be better than fossil fuels. <laughs> I mean, the other negative too is that uh, you know it's starting to pop up now where the batteries are starting to go bad in electric cars, and it's like cost more than the car to get the battery replaced. So essentially, too, it could be another grasp at materialism if they're trying to push these electric cars because every single time you need a new battery you have to drop just as much as you'd spend on a new car so it could be a whole ploy that the auto companies are trying to do to make even more money off of people oh yeah i'm sure i'm sure that's the case um but yeah i think i think tesla was on to something and he got silenced and then um the obelisk pyramids yeah i think it all had something to do with harvesting some type of energy or I think some type of portal. You also have in South America, these big stones that the legends are that they're stargates portals to other dimensions or other places in the galaxy or solar system. And um, so it's just interesting that you get from all different, you know, places around the world. And um, to me, if it was just one culture, I could be like, yeah, it's just their myth or whatever. But if you have like five, six cultures saying the same exact thing, it's kind of hard to ignore that. (laughs) And I mean, they may not always say the same exact words all the time, too. Like I was saying before, people have to kind of like take a step back and look at, you know, there's vague references to things, but you can kind of see the truth like within it, you know, like, uh, you know, this this one may say, oh, there were people that came from the sky. And this one might be like, oh, there was people that, um that fell from the sky. You know, it's like, because of the different wording, you might look at them differently, but realistically, it's just different perspectives of the same thing. Or like they came in a fiery chariot or whatever. (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. That's another perfect example, you know? Like, and there, almost every single culture has reference to some people coming from the sky, falling from the sky. Um, and then on the other end of it, too, there's also, in almost every ancient culture, references to people that came from below. <laughs> so, like, I don't know, man. It's, it's kind of like a mixed bag in the aspect of, uh, I don't know, it, the whole extraterrestrial concept. Like, they, some of them, I believe that some of them are earth dwellers but we look at them as aliens some of them are extraterrestrial but we look at them like that and then on the third area too there could be interdimensional things so it's like you bring up the whole extraterrestrial concept and people want to pick a side of it but you know there could be an aspect of all three and that's kind of at least the side i sit on yeah it could be multiple because um when you talk to uh abduction researchers and ufo researchers alien researchers stuff like that and um you have different races of alien beings they're not all the same you have like the typical gray then you have like the taller gray then you have the nordics and then you have like the lizard people <laughs> and then you have um like the mantis mantoid type things and there's all these different kinds so who's to say some aren't from another dimension some are from our oceans some are from underground some are from outer space it's hard to say I mean, you get into the whole, like, Aquaforian concept about, like, the underwater, like, alien race, you know? And, uh, like, through every culture, there's reference to mermaids or mermaid-like beings. They may not be, like, mermaids like we're thinking they are. They could be, you know, an advanced aquatic race that maybe they start off on a different planet. Maybe they are from this planet and we're looking at them differently. And uh, then you get into this whole concept about there being, like, the underwater oceans that we haven't really been able to get into because the buoyancy is so different that, like, you pretty much bounce off the top. Um I don't know, I've been entertaining the idea that that could theoretically be some type of, like, I don't want to say blocker or, like, a, like a force field, like you know? A, like a And dome. there could be a culture underneath it, you know? Like, maybe that's where the Atlanteans went. <laughs> like, who fucking knows, you know? It's kind of like that. Um, I just saw a movie. Uh, what was it? It was, like, a superhero one. Um, shoot, what the heck was it called? But, yeah, he had a underwater civilization, and they came up. Namoy, I think was his name. I forget what the movie was called, but <laughs> um, it was one of those like Marvel ones. And oh, are you talking about the Black Panther ones? Yes, the new Black Panther. Yep, yep. that's it. Um, so who's to say there isn't something like that down there? Maybe, um, maybe and it was you part are of an the... advanced race too. It's like, of course, you'd want to hide your technology because if you know how the rest of the world works, you know that you're going to be a target as soon as you're people know you have some type of advanced technology. So it totally makes sense for an advanced civilization to want to stay away from the rest of the world. Yeah. And we know like barely anything about our ocean. Like we've only skimmed the surface, uh, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, like you said, they found uh, what looks like towns and stuff off the coast of India and off the coast in the Mediterranean. And um, because when the ice age happened, the water uh, levels were lower because it was huge ice sheets. And, you know, it would only be natural for people to, like, set up shop in those regions. And then whenever the ice caps melted, um, flooded those regions again, and and now you just get the remnants of a lost town or lost city. 
unless they're smart enough to create a force field like these possible underwater oceans. And also, yeah, just a little fun that. fact I always like to throw in when I talk about the underwater oceans, the guy that discovered them, two weeks after discovering them, had a random helicopter crash and died. Ooh. So he just got throw Epstein. in. Yep. Because <laughs> he uh, originally, it was for, I think it was like National Geographic or something. I don't remember the guy's name, but he was... It wasn't even he was, that wasn't what he was looking for. He was looking for something that had to do with like a certain species, and he found them on accident. And then he started like talking about them openly. And then, of course, they were like, Boop. <laughs> "Yeah, it's crazy." They do silence um, the the elites, and I'm talking about the people that are more powerful than the president and the government that we see. Um, they they'll get you. Um, they'll definitely get you. There was a period of time when you had all these holistic doctors just committing suicide, quote unquote. Um, and it was like impossible suicide conditions like, oh, yeah, they staple gun themselves four times in the back of the head in their garage. It's like it's not even like possible. <laughs> uh, so it's like, yeah, anything that goes against the mainstream, it's like it gets shut down and. Um, also with like archaeology and stuff, as Graham Hancock can tell you, it's like they are so rigid in what they've already discovered and what they've already claimed for something to be. They don't want to be proven wrong. They don't want their theory overturned. So then when they find places like Gobekli Tepe, that's further back than what they said, they kind of just like brush it off, push it to the side and they're like, oh, well, you know, whatever. It's probably just a little thing for hunter-gatherers, but we're talking about a mega complex. Like, that's not just hunter and gatherers just gathering there to worship some stone statues. I mean, kind of trying to, like, relate it to, like, a real-world example, too, so that people kind of don't think it's just an all-out conspiracy theory. Like, imagine you spend your entire life dedicating your life to this work, and these are all your theories. And of course, everybody wants to have their place written in history. You know, like people want to be remembered. So you find something new and somebody's entire life work at that point can be thrown out the window. So everybody wants to protect their life work and their name. So that's also a huge component to it is that uh, like those people that are trying to protect their names are now the like older wise ones in the community. So they're going to do everything in their power to try to keep their name because they don't want to be pushed out of history. So it's like not even just some like, oh, crazy conspiracy cover up. Like there's there's an honest method of thinking that everybody could put themselves in those shoes and totally relate to it and understand at least like from our community, at least like we want the information to come out. So maybe it's a little bit harder to imagine, but just like an average person, like you don't want your your, you know, memories to be tarnished, essentially, you know? Well, yeah, you get these guys that, um, you know, just think about it. They spend their whole life dedicated to this search and they think they figured it out and then something comes up at the end of their life's work that totally destroys their whole life's work. It's like, it, it, it would be hard for me to take if I was in that position. Cause it'd be like, dang, everything I worked my life for is, is crap now because this totally destroys my whole uh, hypothesis or whatever. And yeah, so I understand like where they're coming from, but, I just wish they were a little more open to like changing things, <laughs> accepting well, I mean, things. I think it's a progression of time because I feel like the new generation of 
like people doing this work, uh, they're more open to the ideas of things changing. But it's like a matter of you have to let the older generation like fade out because they're kind of the ones overseeing the whole aspect. And once like the current generation becomes like the old wise ones of the generation, like I feel like things are going to change drastically because they're going to be totally okay with the idea of expanding the idea. And rather than like fighting the idea, they're going to have their name remembered by hopping on the idea and being part of the new idea. And that's just like, I, I don't know. The, I feel like that's the method of thinking now, at least versus like in the past. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think, you know, generations change and with generation change changes, how things are done. Uh, I see that in my work too. It's like um, our new uh, regional manager or whatever is like, He's like, as soon as these old guys retire, we're changing some of these policies because they're outdated and they just don't work anymore. And it's like, uh, so it's the same thing, I think, with archaeology and these spheres. It's like you're getting all these new, young, fresh, open-minded people in. And once that older guard kind of bows out, then, you know, it'll open up to more things and i think the fringe and all these topics are becoming more acceptable and a lot more people are talking about it and you see like uh a lot more people like me personally with my podcast there's people that listen to it that i never thought would listen to it like ever and they're just like oh yeah i like your podcast i listen to it every time you drop an episode and I'm like, oh, you like this stuff? And they're like, yeah, it's cool. And <laughs> Whereas before, like 15, 20 years ago, it's like you would be a tinfoil hat person sitting in your grandma's basement uh, talking to a ham radio. Like, can you believe the aliens did it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I also think it's a matter of in the past, it was a lot easier to hide information. Like, you know, it went before the internet, somebody finds something that it's not supposed to be seen. They can easily just like throw it off to the side and it never gets written about. Nobody knows about it. But now it's like you have a crew of 10 there. Uh, they find something new and interesting. One person takes a picture and posts it on the internet and then it's out in the ether. It's there. Like it's impossible to hide the information now. So it's like get with the time because the old method isn't working anymore because it's, that's also why so many new people are into these things is because they're being introduced into them. Because in the past, you know, you'd have to find a random book in the library, hear somebody talking about it, and that's how you get your information. But now it's like, you know, you hear the word alien. You're like, oh, I want to look into aliens. You can go on the internet, and there's unlimited resources of it. So it's easier for people to dig into these fringe topics, and it's harder to hide information on fringe topics. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then podcasting, too, has open doors for talking about stuff um, that you don't hear on your regular TV. And... um yeah, it's definitely definitely great to see, and um, I love that there's other podcasts covering this stuff too. I always say like it's not a competition. Like I want you to succeed just as much as I want to succeed, and I don't think I need to like fight for competition or anything like that. It's like the it's more information, effort. yeah, the more information that we can get out there, the better, and the more people can you know soak up the information, and then. Like my show motto is question everything. And I always say like, you just listen to the show and have an open mind. And then at the end, you can decide what you want to believe, what you want to take from it. Um, but at least I give people a chance and a platform to talk about, you know, their experiences, their research and uh, in a non-judgmental way. So 
yeah, I've been enjoying it a lot. <laughs> I mean, also too, with podcasting, I feel like it's easier to uh, ease people into a conversation where it's like, you know, in the past you'd be like, oh, there's aliens, you know, and it's like harder for people to have all the background of that. But like somebody listens to a podcast and interested in aliens, you can take 10 hours explaining from the very beginning up to where we're at now. So it's just, it's also easier to like veer people into it, you know, like in the past versus just like full on, just like throwing them in the middle of it, you know, because you only have so much time for the conversation to happen, you know? <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. But yeah, I love covering this stuff and um always down to, have people on that have experiences. Like I said, I've talked with people that had near-death experiences, ghost experiences. I had uh, casual preppers on talking about being prepared in case uh, something bad happened, like a grid down situation or, you know, asteroid or whatever, the mm -hmm. apocalyptic event. So, like, I like to cover different things that I just don't hear about, you know, regularly. And, um, yeah, I'm always keeping an open mind. Like, I don't believe everything that is covered on my show, but I at least want to hear about it. I at least want them to have a chance to present uh, what they experience, what they know. And and then, like, it's up to me <laughs> and it's up to my listener um, to believe or not believe. <laughs> yeah, you just entertain the topic. I mean, I do the same thing. It's it's like you have to hear people out in order to make your decision. Like if you just go in biased, then you're not going to hear them out. But if you at least sit down and listen to them and make your decision afterwards, and you also don't throw in like, I guess your full on opinion on it, then it kind of makes it easier for people to uh, not get brainwashed by just like, this is what this person's telling me. They can come up with their own decisions. And I feel like that's like the push in the community now is like, you know, when you're going to like old conspiracy stuff, it was just pretty much people yelling at you saying, this is the information where like the new push now is like, this is what I have do what you want with it. And I also feel like that's also helping, like I was saying, kind of ease people into the community. Cause I don't have somebody just telling them information. It's like, here's what I have do what you want with it. <laughs> yeah. Cause like my own personal beliefs with the alien phenomenon is kind of in the minority. Um, I'm not the only one that believes the way I do, but, you know, I know a lot of people don't buy into the way I believe about the alien and alien abduction phenomenon, but, like, I'm not closed off to other possibilities. I just uh, have my thought on it, my opinion on it, and, um, but I could be completely wrong, so... <laughs> I just ask the questions, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming it's the same thing you do on your show. I just ask the questions just to dig more into it so I can figure it out for myself, too. <laughs> yeah, like I had uh, Flat Earth Dave on, gave him an hour to talk about why he thinks the Earth is flat. And, you know, I don't personally believe the Earth is flat, but he gave some pretty strong points that made me scratch my head. And I still don't think it is, but, you know, I wanted him to be able to come on and talk about it and you know give examples and kind of like you know present what his whole thing's about and <laughs> it was a entertaining episode and um so yeah i i whatever i can entertain or bring on it's good with me <laughs> that's where i'm at too and uh, I guess starting to get towards uh, the end of the show, because you said you only had about an hour or so, um, I always like to do words of wisdom from the guests to the listeners. So if uh, 
there's any words of wisdom that you live by or that, you know, just randomly come to mind, uh, what would they be? And, uh, you know, share them with the listeners. Hmm. Words of wisdom. That's a good question. I would say, listen to the universal force. And I know that sounds woo woo, but I always say, so you can't just sit there and expect things to happen. But if you start working towards something, I totally believe the universe will help you or God or whatever you want to believe. Um, so like, just for an example, my podcast, I never thought that I would be here over a year uh, with all the downloads that I have and all the fans that I have. And I would have never thought that I would be able to actually do the show because I'm not tech savvy <laughs> and all that stuff. But I've learned how to edit and, uh, you know, do the interviews and all that stuff and distribute it to all the podcast platforms. And so I think what I always tell people is like, if you get that nudge to go after it, like, I don't really know how to say it other than that. It's like, if you feel like something's flowing, keep riding with it. And I think the universe and God will help you through if that makes any sense. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no. It's like uh, humans are easily adaptable. So the only thing holding you back is yourself. And if there's something that you want to do, you know, you can't really go into it saying like, oh, I can't do it. Like adapt like humans do. Figure it out. Because that's the only way that anything has ever been discovered is because somebody saw something and said, I want to do that. And they took the time to figure out how to do it themselves. And that's the thing that holds people back a lot is they don't think they can do things. But it's like, I'm in the same boat, dude. I'm here almost a year later doing this. I have my regular listeners and stuff. And uh, yeah, man, like just do it, man. If you have an anchoring to do anything, whether it be a sport, a podcast, a blog, uh, you know, even just more simple stuff. Like, you know, you just, you want to learn how to cook, like just do it, man. Like, cause you have to take it piece by piece. That's how I view it. Like, don't look at it as like, here's the whole thing. Like, this is overwhelming. This is a lot to do. Start off with like small pieces. Like, you know, if you want to get into cooking first, you figure out like, you know, like what's the range of temperature that different meats should be. Or if you want to get into podcasting, you start off with like, uh, okay, so what do I want to make my show about? And then you build up to like, how would I go to an RSS host? And then how do I promote it? Like, you don't look at it as a big block. Look at it as individual pieces and take those steps piece by piece to get to your bigger goal that you want to get to. Yeah. And um, don't be afraid of failure either. Like, I tried to do a video game blog before I started my podcast and it was a total disaster. <laughs> I was getting like no views on it, no nothing. And everything just seemed like hard and uh, like I was fighting to get everything done. And so I just stopped because I was like, this is not working. I'm not feeling the flow. And then I was like, well, what else can I do? And then I thought about my podcast and I started the podcast. And it's like I said, the universe just kind of helped push me along. It was like, um, everything just fell in place. Like I was able to get it all up and going. Like I said, I'm not tech savvy, but I figured it out through some YouTube videos and stuff like that. And then I, like you said, I just start piece by piece and I was like, okay, so now I've got my host, I've got my mic, I've got my headset, I've got my uh, webcam. And then I was like, now I got to think of topics. So I wrote down all the topics and then 
so it just everything seemed to flow and then like guests started popping up and and then it led to other guests and um i started reaching out to people like some of my um like quote unquote dream guests and surprisingly a bunch of them said yes and i never would have thought for a second i would be able to talk to these guys and there i was interviewing them and um but yeah just try to stay in tune with that you know universal force is what i call it where um you might try something and everything is just a pain everything struggle hard maybe that's not what you're supposed to be doing then just shift your focus maybe there's something else and then you might find something like i did where everything just seems to flow and um yeah i think there's definitely something to it yeah a failure isn't a failure it's an attempt at a win that's how i try to look at it but uh for anybody that enjoyed the conversation uh why don't you let them know where to come and find you at yeah so um what if they're wrong paranormal podcast is on all major podcast platforms i also have a website uh com. on there it just has the latest episodes pictures of my guests or their logos if they don't want me to put the picture up uh <laughs> and has like little descriptions of the shows and you can go on there uh you can email me at what if they're wrong at gmail.com as well if you want to message me. Um, my major social media is Instagram and what if they're wrong on Instagram. Uh, I post a lot of stuff on there and um, I'm starting to do reels because um, I realize that's the popular thing now. So like putting my face out there on reels and um, yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I really appreciate you making the time to come on. And as usual, of course, for all the uh, listeners, all of his links will be down in the description. But uh, again, thank you for making the time to come on, man. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I know we didn't touch everything, so maybe I'll show back up sometime. <laughs> hey, man, I like leaving it uh, up in the air because it gives you more opportunity for uh, more episodes in the future. Because yes. I would rather personally do two hour and a half episodes with somebody because it's more digestible for the listener than one three hour episode. And I was like, you know, expanding the opportunity to talk to people because a lot of the time in the podcast community, you know, you'll do a show with somebody and then uh, you'll not intentionally, but kind of like they'll fall to the wayside and then they'll pop back up. Like I like being able to keep a constant line with people that I enjoy talking to. So yeah, definitely you'll have your opportunities to come on the show more than once, more than once again, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cause we didn't even dive into the whole abduction phenomenon. So part two, don't done. Yeah, dun. Part two. <laughs> and um, yeah, like I said, my theories on it are not the most popular, but um, there is a good, group of people who follow the same uh thing so it'll be interesting if we get to talk about that <laughs> oh yeah definitely everybody uh keep your keep your eyes open for when that episode drops because we will <laughs> definitely be planning that one out <laughs> if uh anyone is interested in being a guest on the show sponsoring the show they have a topic that they want discussed on the show or a guest that they'd really like to see on the show or you feel you can contribute anything to the show in any way shape or form uh definitely shoot me an email uh, inquiries of our reality podcast at outlook.com. Uh, you never know, you know, what, what might become of it. Um, I made friends with this guy named, uh, socio He does a lot of my, uh, little jingles for all my different shows, a lot of different things. Um, 
and he's become a very close friend of mine. So, you know, you never know what might happen, even if it's just for conversation, you know, come and hit me up because, you know, we might be able to become friends. We might, you know, talk about some random shit. I'm always here, man. So I want to hear from all of you guys. I would love to talk to all you guys. And if you guys take the time to listen to the show, the least I can do is take time to respond to any message that you guys send me. So always appreciate it. If you want to do that, like I said, you can email me. Um, the other option is Instagram. That's the primary thing that I'm active on. Um, and like I was saying in the top of the show, all available under the link trees. Uh, the one for this show is L-A-N-K-T-R period E-E slash increase of our reality podcast. And if you want to check out the umbrella of everything I do, that one would be Open Minds Media, which is uh, L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash open underscore minds underscore media. And with that, I hope you guys enjoyed the show and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.